to determine if ally was a title that you were going to add to your bio or if it was going to be a way of life. You walk in allyship. You are acting as an ally. Welcome to Beyond Allyship, a podcast that helps humans shift their understanding of what it means to be an effective ally and show up in allyship for marginalized communities. Let's get it popping. Welcome to the Beyond Allyship Podcast. I am your host, Dr. J-Pop, and I am extremely excited to have with me today, Dr. Lisseth London. Welcome, Dr. London. Hello, hello. I'm glad to be here. Yes, thank <laughs> you for, for coming on. I just, I love calling her Dr. London, y'all, just because... <laughs> We were around when she was defending her dissertation last year, and it was just an awesome thing to watch. So I'm so excited for her. Just to tell you a little bit about Dr. London, (laughs) she has her bachelor's and master's degree in social work, her doctorate in international psychology, and she is the CEO and founder of Laseth London Global Consulting. This is an organization dedicated to developing trauma-informed resilient environments globally by building stronger organizations, individuals, and communities through trauma-informed education, training, and advocacy. She has been a speaker several times in building allyship community with workshops like a true community resiliency approach, advocacy, and organizational identity. This woman is a powerhouse and she is (laughs) going to share all of her wisdom with us today. I will try. (laughs) You're going to do it. I have faith. So Mm -hmm. I have a question for you. Shoot. What is bringing you joy right now? Right now, what's bringing me joy is playing with my four-year-old nephew. He is my everything. He is a four-year-old in a 30-year-old body. I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) Bossy as ever. What just brings me joy is to see him play around and think that I'm a jungle gym. I don't understand that. Yeah. But yeah, Yeah. that's, that's my joy right now. I wonder where he gets that bossy part from. I don't know. Not from me. (laughs) (laughs) So next question, what are you reading right now? Oh, my gosh. So I'm reading multiple things. I am a bookworm and I, I love to read, love to read. Right now I'm reading this book by Dr. Amin. He's a Ghanaian author. It's called Understanding the Mind. Mm-hmm. And regarding trauma and how that affects our concept and our approach and communication. I'm really just reading him right now. He's amazing. And he wrote another book about the trauma of slavery and how mm-hmm. colonialism, right? Just how it has passed down within our, our people and how mm-hmm. we are having a hard time detaching ourselves from it and the concept of, you know, how, what does that look like in our conversations and yeah. our foundation as people? So I've been reading those two. And then for light reading, I'm reading... I was about to say, <laughs> do you have any fiction in it? <laughs> for light reading, I'm actually reading these novels about military people who go through traumatic experiences. And it's just, yeah. So, yeah, those, that's it right now. That's what I'm reading. That's that and, that, that, and that's light reading. That's my you. light reading. It's actually fun. You know, I read those books like one a day. And so, but yeah. If you like it, I love <laughs> it. I'm like, that's not all that sounds like. Yeah. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Yeah. So is there anything fun that you're watching then? Um, <laughs> Let's try that. Uh, okay. So right now I'm re-watching One Day at a Time. It's about a Hispanic half-Cuban family. And the life of, you know, living in in America. And so so just watching those two. That's a great lead in because I would love to know how your background has impacted the work that you do. Definitely. So I'm originally from Panama and I migrated to the United States in 95. I was nine years old. And so... My history here, my journey has actually influenced my work, you know, which is why I 
pursued a career in social work, trying to understand that working with trauma, just because I've experienced my own trauma in assimilating to the culture, trying to navigate the systems within my new environment, while also trying to figure out where I fit in, you know, in, in these subgroups, while also trying to figure out what is it that I want to be or what, who do I want to be in this mm. world? And so trying to navigate that was very traumatic. And I saw other people as I was growing up that didn't have the, the, the home, the foundation that I had. You know, I had, a, I had parents who, despite everything that we were going through, always encouraged us to seek education mm-hmm. and to always be mindful of others. And so because of that, I was constantly observing. I'm an observer, um, very analytical. (laughs) And because of that, I have been able to implement that into my field where I, you know, saw friends who were trafficked into the United States and who were, you know, violated in terms of trying to live this life of, you know, I want to come to America and then having Mm. to go through so much and not have anyone to really process those things with. So a lot of my own journey has supported or encouraged me to be in the field that I'm in, which is in the trauma field and work Mm -hmm. with so many people. So then in order to understand where we're going on this trauma conversation, (laughs) I think somebody needs to understand what it is, like what trauma is. So could you give us kind of your definition of trauma? So before I give my definition, I always like to give the APA definition. So, you know, the APA defines trauma as an emotional response to a terrible event like a accident, rape or natural disaster. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what trauma is and a response to an event. So how I define trauma is still within the same tone and feel to it. But realistically, trauma is something that we all experience is unavoidable. (laughs) <laughs> and and when I say this to my clients, they look at me like, really? Like, you're just going to say that? So trauma is something that we experience. It's something that you cannot avoid. It can happen in, in a small event or it can be in the magnitude of a disaster. It can be something that you personally experience or it can be something that you saw someone experience. It can affect your life immediately or it can just be triggered and be brought out weeks, months, years later. So it all depends on the the level or the severity of the trauma that you experience or what you were exposed in in seeing. There's also the secondary trauma of again seeing someone else's trauma and being a, a part of that in terms of navigating, well, how does this actually affect me? So that's what trauma is in in a nutshell. So then if we want to go to a subset of trauma, it would, the one on this podcast, of course, we'd be talking about racial trauma. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So I want you to explain what racial trauma is and how it can manifest first. Mm. So racial trauma is, it's more than just a traumatic experience because of racial tensions or racial events or things that have happened. It is also the history of race, right? The the transgenerational things that have been passed down mm-hmm. in, into our society, into our community, into our people, into our families. So racial trauma is, is not only the effects of it individually, like how it impacted you, but also how impacted within your immediate community, the things that have come with the economic status, right? Mm-hmm. The the social aspect of it all, the the biological aspect of it all, right? Understanding this biopsychosocial approach to to what racial trauma is. And I apologize, right? Because people are like, no. well, tell me the answer. Tell me the answer. And I'm like, <laughs> the answer is breaking the racial trauma into that approach. The biopsychosocial, even the spiritual aspect of it. Mm. Looking at that and breaking down what racial trauma is within each of those sections. Hmm. So 
I have a question. Yeah. Because in the first answer that you gave about general trauma, mm -hmm. you said that witnessing events that are not directly impacting you mm -hmm. can be a form of trauma, secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean when you don't identify with the group that is experiencing the trauma? Is there, is that still just considered secondary trauma? So if, if, you know, if a white person watches some event happen to me, mm -hmm. can they experience trauma from that? Definitely. Definitely. And is that considered secondary trauma? It is considered secondary trauma. And it can actually be more than secondary trauma and evolve to just primary trauma when the mm. individual is that close to the person that they saw. So... Oftentimes we see these events that have happened in the last couple of years, right? Just thinking about the George Floyd, a lot of people saw it and mm -hmm. were traumatized by it. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the tricky aspect of, the, of trauma, right? That you don't necessarily have to know the person. You just have to relate to a certain thing about it. So the fear of this could be my child, the fear mm. of this could be my friend and my loved one. And that small attachment can can create that big bubble that we're talking about mm. in regards to trauma, mm -hmm. where it shifts from, oh, this is an outside thing. And I understand because it impacted someone else to now it's impacting me. So, you know, anyone who is not necessarily affected directly by the racial traumas or the racial issues of this country or this world can mm -hmm. can become traumatized, can be mm -hmm. triggered by these racial tensions that we are constantly seeing. Mm. There's a quote by, I want to say her name was Lila Watson. She's an Aboriginal activist. Mm -hmm. So she says, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Mm -hmm. And just hearing you talk about how when it comes to racial trauma, you don't necessarily have to be the marginalized population. It just shows you how interconnected we are and how it's not just, you know, coming to the movement as a helper, mm -hmm. <laughs> but actually coming, recognizing that this impacts you. Everything mm -hmm. that happens to those in your communities that are in your networks impacts you. And I think that's something that's very important for everybody to understand. Definitely. I think in the environment that we're living in right now, it, it requires everyone to be active. When you do nothing and, you, and you're <laughs> seeing everything, it makes you question who you are because of it, right? I just came from Ghana, right? And I went to three of the castles, but in one of the castles, Elamina Castle, when you're walking into the male dungeon, there is this quote. And I took a picture of it because I love quotes. And it said that to avoid criticism, right? Say nothing do nothing, be nothing, mm. right? By Aristotle. And I was just like, this is a random quote to the dungeon. I'm trying to deal with the emotions and the, and the heartache and the fact that I'm walking through this darkness and you want me to read this? And so then the guy told us that the reason why this quote is so important is because we as a society are seeing so much of what our history has already shown. And mm -hmm. so... We are now taxed with, are you going to do something? Mm. Or are you afraid to be criticized, to be active, to be an ally, to be an advocate for change, right? Mm -hmm. Are you scared of being criticized? Then if you are, then do nothing, then say nothing, then be nothing. But mm -hmm. that is what you will be remembered by. But if you are going to be an advocate for change and you are an ally for to fight against this racial trauma that has mm -hmm. been ingrained in our history from all cultures, right? Mm -hmm. It has touched every part of the world. Then you need to say something. Then you need to do something. Because if you do something, then this will not happen again. And the fear is that we, we cannot allow this to happen again, despite of what we're seeing. And mm -hmm. so... I wanted to share that because no. it's so important when you're understanding what racial trauma is. Racial trauma is now allowing people to really question whether or not I do something, 
whether or not I say something, mm-hmm. you know, am I going to be criticized for being an advocate for change against how the this racial group is being treated? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And now everyone is being asked this individually mm-hmm. as a community, mm-hmm. institutionally. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone is being asked this question and you cannot be dismissive of it. You cannot ignore yeah. it. It is in every corner. It's interesting, though, because I always mm-hmm. want to bring wholeness to the conversation and not wholeness in terms of be a whole person, but yeah. all perspectives. I've always wondered mm-hmm. when you think of the transatlantic slave trade and you think of what Africans endured going through it and the trauma that has impacted us generationally. I believe that (laughs) when you think about who was doing the trading, when you think about who were the slaveholders, and we'll come back to America for this one, okay? Isn't there something that you would have to turn off in order to justify yourself in what you're doing? Yes and no. The fear that they had was not that someone had to turn something off in order for that to happen. Right? Does that mm-hmm. does that make sense? Beforehand, it was a normal process to have servants, not slaves. Yes. And so when you ask that question, people are like, well, nothing really turned off because in reality... People had servants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now these churches, <laughs> that's what I'm just going to say like that. These people came to, to trade, you know, gold and things like that. But in reality, created these castles mm-hmm. for trading human beings. You toured specifically yeah. one of these castles. Yes. And so the the people who, again, in the African culture, the oh, one of the elders keeps the history of the of the people and it's mm-hmm. passed down. So which is why this author, who was our tour guide in the castle, mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that it was accurate. So he went to all these tribes and got the the history to make sure that everything was accurate. And so the castles were created for trading, though they say that it was for trading gold and mm-hmm. um, guns and weapons and all these things. Because if you saw it, then it wouldn't have been built that, the way that it's built. Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, the there was no switch. It was mm-hmm. already there. And yeah. so when people are asking this question that you you just asked, like, wouldn't it be something that switched in order for that to have happened? No, there was no switch. It was already there. It was already there. It was already so the power structure already existed, already, existed. which made it commonplace so that it didn't it really wasn't a, a, a huge step or leap to say, OK, now I have enslaved people. Correct. Yes, you were my servants, but I've enslaved people. So it it became a culture. <laughs> exactly. Just like it became a culture here in the United States. Correct. And Correct. to do anything other than that would be taboo. Correct. The only issue that was had and that you can hear and from the people itself and read from the books itself is that the way they were traded. Mm-hmm. The inhumane part of it all, the the lies that were told in terms of no, we're we're tra- trading servants and bringing servants there, and and it was the issue was the abuse for the people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the killing of the people, mm-hmm. um, the the raping of the women and mm-hmm. the tossing of babies, right? All these things that were so different from what mm-hmm. was done throughout gotcha. the sub-Sahara Sahara trade. Does that make sense? So that makes sense. that's the that's the difference in in it, but the there was no switch. It was just is a is a a process that evolved. Mm-hmm. It was just the evolution of servants to slaves. 
so, since we're hearing how far back, of course, this mm-hmm. goes. And I think it's interesting that you're talking about this part. I love it because when people talk about slavery, they tend, especially in the States, they tend to focus on the transatlantic slave trade, not recognizing that hundreds of years before that, <laughs> Portugal said, hey, we want in on what's going on in Africa. And we also want to conquer mm-hmm. the the Muslim territories. However, technically it's the same people that mm-hmm. have experienced these traumas. So while the reasons have changed and how it's looked. So then that brings up the question of generational trauma. My favorite. Mm-hmm. Is it really your favorite? <laughs> yep. I love talking about it. Mm-hmm. Well, then go. <laughs> Because, I, I mean, I, I think more people are starting to understand what that can look like. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about in this context if people are willing to go and read what explains generational trauma in the context of racial trauma. Mm-hmm. So I will let you enlighten us. I think the best way to look at this generational or transgenerational trauma is really looking at the history itself, right? And for example, an individual was brought here and landed in the United States, right? Or, Or the 13 colonies, whatever. And then that person ended up having a child within the the area, whatever area they were sold to. And then that child now grows up and now has their own child. So everything that they're exposed to from the moment that individual was brought on the boat and landed in the United States, that trauma, that trauma of being taken, stripped, beaten, Mm. starved, fearful of either or not they're going to drown or not, and then make it saying, oh my gosh, we made it. And then... What thrown water, washed, branded, and then mm-hmm. sold into mm-hmm. this family to be able to become a servant, right? <laughs> servant. Mm-hmm. And then now they have their own children they're, and they're ex- giving this, right? I'm understanding of, I'm letting you know so you know where you're coming from. I'm mm-hmm. giving you the perimeters of life so that you don't veer from this because I don't want you to be dead and I don't want someone to take you away. Like they took me away from my family, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm giving you this and I'm putting this on my child. Now my child grows up and has their own child. So now they're giving that. So this generational drama doesn't necessarily only has to be an, the impact internally. It can mm-hmm. be the verbal things that we pass down our traditional things that we give, the fears Mm -hmm. that we give to our own people, right? This is all intertwined into what transgenerational trauma is. (laughs) And so a lot of people here are having this conversation about transgenerational Mm -hmm. trauma. Now, Mm -hmm. when I'm in Ghana, this conversation is not. And I'm going to tell you this. And why am I saying this? Because mm-hmm. when you're looking at the Ghanaian people, a lot of the Ghanaian people understand the history because they're taken there during basic schooling to go through the to the castles. We need you to mm-hmm. know your history. We need you to know where, right. where everything is. But there's a disconnect between the culture and okay. the history that is in their own land. Why? Because we're not them. We weren't we weren't taken. We're still we're still Africans. We're we're we're, we're here. We're here. And then in 2019, when they had that beyond return, when people are bringing people yes. in and stuff like that, they're still, the people are still like, oh, you're coming. Oh, great. Oh, okay. That's cool. But, you know, we're, I mean, our histories are very different because you carry a transgenerational trauma of pain and hurt and anger. I'm here with my people, I'm, my people. Like, I'm cool. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we suffered, you know, we we're trying to deal with the fact that we have like millions of churches in the country of Ghana, literally. Mm. And, but I'm, I mean, we navigated through that. And so this transgenerational conversation is very different within two, within these two cultures, despite the fact that there are two black people, two black groups, mm-hmm. right? And so when I talk to people about transgenerational trauma here, in understanding that before I we take them to Ghana, because that's one of the things that I'm doing now is literally taking groups of people 
and going through the process of like, okay, you you're dealing with this. You understand racial trauma. Now let's take you to the land so that you can see Mm. and go through the process of understanding the journey, understanding the mindset and all these things that now your ancestor is now in this boat and they're now manifesting freedom for whoever is coming after me. Freedom to be able to be like, hey, someone is going to get you free, right? Someone is going to make sure that you escape this. Because through their own trauma that they experienced, they were looking for their kings and warriors to come and free them. And to turn around and see the warriors also in chains was very traumatic. Mm. So Mm. that transgenerational, right, that generational trauma, plus the trauma that people are experiencing here, and now the triggers that are happening, right, the killing of someone, um, it's a lot. So how do you bring this to make sure that you are self-aware of the trauma and what trauma it is that you need to address? Mm -hmm. But also, how do you come to this point of self-awareness that you understand the triggers and the need to pour in so that you're not taken off balance? Mm. Racial trauma, I think is very important for us to dissect either is you are a the culture or the race group that is being affected or whether you're an ally or an advocate you have to break it down to look at the actual pain the cause and the triggers all at the same time Mm. (laughs) i just needed a minute with that one (laughs) because i didn't think about that i didn't think about what trauma looks like in Ghana mm-hmm. or in the motherland, we'll say, because it wasn't all areas of Africa that were affected. But it's interesting because I heard you also say there's a spiritual trauma mm-hmm. there. They might not be at the level of the racial trauma we have. However, <laughs> like I said, the original intent of the prince from from Portugal was to conquer Muslim territory. Correct. Or conquer any territory that didn't have the same religion. So Correct. What does that religion I mean, I know what religious trauma <laughs> looks like. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> yeah. But not but we're we're probably speaking more from being within it and experiencing it versus yeah. another group literally coming to wipe yeah. your religion. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that. So my <laughs> dissertation, <laughs> my dissertation was actually, how do we incorporate faith-based traditional practices into mental health treatment plans mm. within the Ghanaian culture? Okay. Mm-hmm. So the Ghanaian culture is no, they're Christian. There is a Christian land through and through. When I was saying that there's churches everywhere, I am not kidding. You will see a Mormon church, a, a Pentecostal, a Baptist, a Catholic, everything within the same block. You understand? Like, it's a mm-hmm. lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so there is a spiritual colonization that happened within within the Ghana lands. And, and, and I mean that in everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Even the tribes itself. So we were, our guide that we had was sharing some of the stories from the tribes that are passed down. And even some of the tribes' history and and stories that they were sharing had a lot of Christianity mixed into it. Mm. And I was like, wait, is this like true? Or like, is this like an like a amended story? You know, what you want to amend it. I wanted to know. And the guy was looking at me so serious. He's like, no, this is the history of our people. This is this is the story that we passed down. And so and why I'm saying this is like as a people that there is a spiritual trauma that has happened. Again, as Dr. J-Pop mentioned, is that the core of this slave trade was really brought on by these churches coming in and saying, no, we want to be here and we want to bring the word to you while also trading your gold and your rocks and this and that and whatever. And so because of that, they were 
giving out, right, their religious beliefs. Not in a kind way, right? <laughs> take this or I take you. Do mm. this or you're gone. And mm. and so you see this history within the Guinean culture of just Catholics and just Mormons and Muslims all within the and it's it's fascinating mm. the the religious belief that they have. The Guinean people are literally out there working every day, seven days a week, every day, morning to night. But when church comes, oh, mm. everybody's at church. Oh, the streets, this you it's it's almost near empty because everybody's at church. Mm. And after church, you take off your clothes, you eat with your family, do do and you back out work. This is the culture of the Ghanaian people. Mm. But the one thing that a lot of people don't understand that despite of the Western Eurocentric religion that was incorporated into this culture, a lot of people still hold on to the indigenous beliefs and traditions. Okay. Which is why you see people praying, praying to God and things like that. But if something happens to the family or somebody's sick, they go to the chiefs for cleansing or something. Mm. You know, when someone is born, you know, great. Oh, let's pray and dedicate the baby. But there also there is a traditional dedication that people have to go through in order for you to get your name. Mm, the naming practice. Yes. The naming practice. And for mm -hmm. you to even to be connected to the heritage, to the people that you come from. When a woman goes through her changes, there is a whole celebration and, and process that happens. So even though they are very religious and very mm -hmm. ingrained in Christianity or whatever religious they hold, the traditions and practices are still in there. There. And so that's why when you talked about Ghana in, in the spiritual aspect, you have to be specific as to what it is. You have to ask them, tell me who you are. Tell me mm -hmm. what you identify is. And then they identify with the Christian. I'm a Christian, seven day Adventist girl, mm -hmm. Christian, Catholic. I was like, wait. <laughs> and then they said, but I'm also an Asante. I'm also a Fanti. I'm also a, but like, and so you have to have these two in order for you to understand the identity of the person. So just that alone is incorporated into this transgenerational trauma where mm -hmm. you're looking again at the biopsychosocial spiritual model, right? And <laughs> you see how we're bringing it back? The we trauma. Back. And, we, and, and so in my conversations with people, you have to understand this. I don't go in-depth if I do like some whatever training. Like if you want a training that's in-depth, we are going to dive into that. <laughs> but if not, mm -hmm. I will always touch bases on it because you have to understand this concept when you're when you're trying to lead a group of people. I, you know, I just released the course Allyship and Advocacy for Pediatric Therapists. OK, yeah. Try and that. in the beginning, the first module is about history. And I remember researching a lot about it wasn't just that you took me from my land and enslaved me. It was that all those cultural pieces that were so integral to how I operated. And I don't just mean operated on a day-to-day -day base. We just talked about the naming practices and, mm -hmm. and even some of the rites of passages for yeah. all of the milestones. You lost that. Mm -hmm. And you didn't just lose it because you were enslaved. What, I mean, enslaved babies... <laughs> were two times more likely to die in the womb and out of the womb mm -hmm. than white babies. Mm -hmm. So you you were losing all of this in one fell swoop. Mm -hmm. And they tried their best to keep up the practices. Of course, it was all oral because it was illegal to read and write when you came over. But it's just, it, there's so many layers of the trauma, which is why I love that you said <laughs> that everybody has to research all aspects. Oh, you have to break it down. So it, it leads me to my next question. Mm -hmm. In one of your workshops, you talked about that generational trauma, but you also talked about all of the levels that it impacts. Because I think 
most people just consider on the individual level Mm -hmm. and maybe on the community is in terms of like all the people that look like you. But could you tell me all of the ways this that it can impact a society? Yeah, definitely. So looking at it from the big, big to little, right? You can look at it that the level of trauma can impact an institution, right? The, the, the system itself of the people. So the economics of a particular group in whatever status that they fall into, that can be an impactful to that area. The, the other level is within the communities and families, right? How does that institution and trauma drop down to the families and in the community? Well, it affects us because now the community does have no access to health, they have no mm-hmm. access to certain things. The, the family itself is not able to get certain things because of A and B and C. So now the mm-hmm. trauma, it falls into that. And then that falls into individual, Right which is the individual, how is that affecting me if I can't get access to this as a, as a pregnant woman mm-hmm. who is, is excited to have a child but unable to because I don't have access to A, B, C, and D because of the color of my skin or the community that I live in or the fact that the system is already, it already will take me out because of the, my diagnosis or whatever it is. So I look at it from the big to little, but as you always want to do it, and which I always do in my training, I always like to flip things upside down. <laughs> and so when you're looking at the trauma, your personal trauma, your individual trauma, what is mm-hmm. it that you have ex- been exposed to? What are mm-hmm. you responding to in terms of the events, either big or small, whatever disaster? What secondary traumas are you dealing with personally? Right. And then imagine what you are dealing with and how is that being dripping down to your community or into your Mm -hmm. family. Right. Your your impact in your your own trauma has now affected the the way you engage within your community and your family. And so Mm -hmm. because it affected your community and your own family dynamics, that family and the individual is now having issues with the institution itself. So Mm -hmm. if you look at it from both ways, either institutional trauma or individual trauma, it affects the same. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, and I do this on purpose, you cannot look at the big picture in everything. You have to break things down so that Mm -hmm. you can see where it is you fall into, what it is is affecting you, what Mm -hmm. it is you can do, what it is you can fix and then build from there. Mm hmm. So hearing all of this, I've talked about this in my episode with Dynasty Hunt, who is an equity-centered consultant. A lot of people signed up to do this type of work in 2020. Mm-hmm. A lot of people became DEI directors, DEI councils, DEI, 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 everything. And we're two years in and we're seeing the effects mm-hmm. of having people in these positions who were not one educated mm-hmm. too ready. So when you said all of the things it's important to consider, it it triggered me <laughs> mm-hmm. because I personally was like, now nah, that's not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a way I like to do my work. And I think there's a lot of healing and understanding that needs to happen to do that. Mm-hmm. So can you speak to that? Oh, definitely. <laughs> and I, I, I want to say this to the people who are listening, that it is not an attack Mm-mm. at all, but it's an, a calling and a challenge to be aware of the position that either you hold or someone else holds. Okay? So I just want to say that out there before I say it. And let's also add... Sometimes you don't know until you're in it, to be completely honest. So when you also consider who's doing the placement and the hiring, that's almost more important. That's almost more important because to not know what those roles require Mm -hmm. means you also won't know who to put in those roles. So go ahead. So it's like bringing a group of people in the kitchen and told... Okay, everybody, 
go make a cake and this cake is going to be at someone's wedding and everyone in the kitchen are accountants. <laughs> like, you're going to look around and like, oh, okay, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know numbers. So if I'm looking at the numbers, I'm going to figure out the measurements and I'm going to make it work with what I know and try to figure out because I'm going to fit. It's going to it's going to work because I know how to do the basic parts. Mm-hmm. And so what I saw through this process of the eye is that there were some great people that were appointed. Don't get me wrong. There were mm-hmm. some great people oh, that yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes, finally. But there were some people that I'm like, how? Why? Why? You know, and in order for you to understand the, the frustration of that is you have to be able to understand that in order for you to be aware of diversity and the, the, the push for inclusion and the understanding of just all of these things that are, are, are part of this position, you have to understand the history. You have to understand how to navigate the triggers and the, and the injustice and the, and the frustrations that people have dealt with for years and years and decades. So, <laughs> so if, if I give you this position because, oh, well, I trust you and you seem like you will be doing a great job of this, then I'm doing an injustice to this because I didn't really investigate whether or not you can connect with the people that you're going to support. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at organizations as, <laughs> as a, a consultant walking in and mm-hmm. saying, wait, what? Wait, they're doing who? They're doing what? And I'm blown away by the lack of foundation and, and, and knowledge of these individuals. And I'm looking at the turnover <laughs> rate that, that it's happening within the organization because of the insensitivity that's happening that mm-hmm. some people were supposed to address and couldn't because they didn't understand it. So... I know there was a push within the last couple of years for this and it was crazy. Like, I, I mean, if you were on LinkedIn, you saw it like <laughs> everyone, I'm the new, I'm the new, hey, he's the new, you know, it was like constantly. And I'm afraid that we as a society who is used to putting band-aids over deep cuts. Mm have not understood the fact that this is just a Band-Aid. And I'm sorry. (laughs) And because this is just a Band-Aid to a lot of people who chose inadequate people to Mm. represent in these positions, we will continue to see People fired for no reason. People yes. not giving support. People not being able to get what they need because of this. And so the challenge comes to, to all of us individually, right? That as a person individual who has dealt with the trauma of institution because they have affected my community and it has mm-hmm. impacted me. At what point do I say something? Do I do something mm-hmm. to make sure that the, the 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 practice that is being instilled within organizations gets criticized? Yeah, you know, and and I think that until people are comfortable to do that, we're gonna keep yeah. seeing inadequate DEI people in positions. And see more people re-triggered and hurt more and re-traumatized. And within the institution itself, how -hmm. can I help you meet your bottom line when the people that you were put in place to help me and support me and guide me through this don't understand me? Mm. So, you know, I never talk about a negative without balancing out. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because like I said before, I never fault an individual <laughs> at all, especially when it's these organizational positions. And 
they're making the decisions. Mm -hmm. What are some trainings that would be beneficial for DEI positions or DEI councils or DEI departments? Because the reality is most places, especially now that we're about to head into recession number, however many, won't have it to hire from outside. So they usually promote from within. Mm -hmm. So then if that's how you have to do it, that's fine. That's but fine. how can they support and help give those positions the training and resources that they need to be effective? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the, the main training in general, I won't even talk about the ones I provide. I will talk about the main ones is you need to know histories and foundation of communication within trauma. That's, mm -hmm. that's the first thing. You need to understand the history of it all. How do you communicate with people in order to not to re-trigger them? How do you engage with others and motivate others without it coming at the, with the tone of oppression and ridicule and shame and stuff? Like, how do you do that as someone who is trying to navigate this in order to create a, a, a atmosphere of safety and support. So I think the first one, it has to be something with history, which is great that you're doing that. That's that's number one, right? The second one is individuals have to do their own one-on-ones. You cannot be in charge of supporting others and mm -hmm. being there for others and you are not talking to someone. Listen, it does not work. It does not work. You are going to be burdened. You're going to carry so many things. And who are you releasing to? Who are you processing mm -hmm. with? Your spouse, mm -hmm. your friends cannot be that. It's great, mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. not, they cannot be that. You need to talk to someone who is trauma focused mm -hmm. to be able to help you navigate these things as an individual. So that's another thing that has to be a requirement which for training for the for these individuals in these positions. But then also the people who are putting these people in positions, right? The executives, <laughs> the, yes. the head honchos have to have some type of crash course in order to understand why is this important in the first place? Mm -hmm. You cannot put someone to deal with diversity and inclusion and all these whatever and then be like, oh, well, they, we're not trauma focused and we don't know anything. So we just make sure and go in there and, and do great. It's not going to work. The whole mm -hmm. point of that position is to to address the trauma, to avoid the traumas, to in, improve support, to encourage mm -hmm. engagement. And, and if you don't have that in the beginning within the structure of the organization. Right. How do you help? So that training has to come for not only the person in that position, but also the executives. Okay. So coming coming down in the funnel, mm -hmm. let's say I'm not an executive and I'm not interested in becoming a DEI person. I really just am walking in allyship, looking to advocate. Mm -hmm. How does an individual self-assess to mm -hmm. avoid triggering? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's a big probably one of the number one reasons that people don't move forward from the education part of allyship and advocacy is not wanting to make a mistake. Because if you go further, it's if I make a mistake, I'm going to trigger emotion that I'm not able to handle. That's if you go all the way down the line. Yeah. But how does someone self-assess to avoid that? So before I answer that, I'm going to give you this. I, I literally just had this conversation with a, a doctoral student yesterday. We went to Ghana, and I'm going to talk about that because it, it's just still fresh. <laughs> and this individual is white. Mm -hmm. And the there were three individuals who were, who were white, and everybody else was black, and one person was Indian, right? And so it was, it was a lot. And again, we're going through the history of slavery, the history of all these things, mm -hmm. and having these three individuals... In the middle of this group who has history to this, who are mm -hmm. tied to this, was a lot. 
And so this individual mentioned in the beginning of the trip, before we did anything, I grew up around black people. I, my family is black and I'm here because I, I feel like I need to connect and support my people. I need to allow them to be free. I want you to hear the words that I'm saying throughout. Okay. And I'll bring it back. And so through these events, through these activities that we went through, this individual continued to struggle just to, just to be, they felt that they needed to allow others to have a safe space. Let me create this space for you. I know you're connecting to your, so let me be this for you. I'm going to advocate for you to have this and have that so that you can experience what you need to experience. And so one of the things that we mentioned to to her yesterday was that in order for you to be an ally and to be an advocate for individuals who are close to your heart, who have experienced this generational trauma, transgenerational trauma, who have experienced the, the slavery and the oppression, everything, all these things, that it is okay for you to feel for them. It is okay for you to advocate for, for the person to have what they need. I get it. Because you feel, you, you saw this. The only thing that you need to be aware of is that, and she mentioned making a mistake, which is why I'm bringing this story, is, mm-hmm. is that you have to allow yourself to go through your own emotions without mm-hmm. having the need to feel as if without you, that person cannot experience or deal with that. Mm-hmm. Allyship and advocacy is not about you knowing and being more knowledgeable so that you can create a space for others. Mm-hmm. Allyship and advocacy is for you to understand where you are within the tension of it all, how mm-hmm. you can navigate your own your own feelings, but how do you verbalize things when you're uncomfortable and being mindful of the words you use. Mm-hmm. Allow. I feel you mm-hmm. need I'm supporting you. I'm mm. here for you. Mm. It's, sti- it's, it's very I, which again, neg- with that language, negates the, the ability for others mm-hmm. who are experiencing this mm-hmm. to be true to themselves and their authentic mm-hmm. self. It's as if you are permitting the individual mm-hmm in that space. So we mentioned this to her and one the her response was I'm scared to make a mistake. Yeah. I'm scared to say something or do something mm-hmm. that is going to hurt the people that I love. And of course there was many tears and in just that emotion alone because again that just making a mistake, that's a that's a huge fear for anybody, especially yeah. who's trying to do and, and make a change or be something, right? And so I had to remind her of the quote, right? Mm, yes. Because this, it ties it in, right? To avoid criticism, <laughs> say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Yeah. If you don't say anything in whatever space you're in, understanding that I'm navigating this new role that's myself mm-hmm. and I'm trying to make sure that I'm in my own authentic space without having to stifle yours, right? Yeah. I need to be able to be vocal about something and I need yeah. to do something. So... Advocacy and allyship, the fear that people have in making a mistake doesn't necessarily only have to be about being vocal. And I need people to hear that part. A mistake is made when you don't do nothing, when you don't move. Mm -hmm. And so when you speak and say something that others may find it hurtful, 
understand that this is a space that you <laughs> are able to say, hey, I don't I don't know what. Please tell me what I said wrong, mm-hmm. because I need you to criticize what I did. I need you to I need you to do something. I need you to tell me something because I need to make sure that I'm OK. Criticize what I'm doing so that I understand this. And it's not a criticism of pain and like and belittlement. Please understand right. that is a criticism of of learning and reshaping what wisdom is within this new topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the mistakes that people have, the fear of making a mistake is, is still within the whole self-centered, it is about me mentality. Right. It is not. Right. It's not. You cannot be a fear of making a mistake that means it's still about you. That means it's not about the space you're trying to be in. That's a word for everybody. <laughs> Whether you're in a talk about trauma or <laughs> anything else. Because I think it's yeah. it, everybody wants to be seen as a good person. Yeah. And there's sometimes just is a is a a dissonance between being seen as a good person and being an effective and impactful ally or advocate. Exactly. And I think that's a hard pill for people to swallow, but it's very necessary medication. So thank you for that. It's uncomfortable. And (laughs) and I tell people all the time, you have to, you have to be comfortable in being Mm -hmm. uncomfortable because again, this is a topic that is, that it's carrying the weight of hundreds and thousands of years. And here you are because you saw something that was not good. And you like, mm-hmm. oh no, that's bad. And I mm-hmm. want to do something and you want to act now and you cannot act and think that the history is not going to come with it. Mm-hmm. The weight comes with it. Yeah. So because it comes with it, you have to navigate. Okay, I can't tilt to the right. I can't tilt. I have to figure <laughs> out how to balance this. Right. While navigating how I don't want to offend you. Right. I'm not trying to say you you deserve this space because I'm not dictating what you deserve or you don't deserve. Right. I'm just here because I want to be and I want to do something because I I, I can no longer stand to criticize the system and still mm. do nothing. I yeah. have to do something. I have yeah. to do it. So then should all workplaces consider trauma-informed training? Yes. Yes. No matter what. No matter what. No matter what. No matter what. So then what does it mean to have a trauma-informed workplace? Understanding people's emotions, understanding people's reactions to whatever it is you're providing. If you have more than one worker in your business, you need (laughs) (laughs) trauma-informed. Just because I'm very different than you. And because I'm different from you, I need to figure out how do I engage with you without insulting you and say, girl, your shirt is like, what? But Mm. her shirt is great because she loves that shirt. And I'm Mm. like my sweater. How do we have a conversation about this? And so being Mm -hmm. aware of being trauma-informed with something is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. That's what trauma-informed is. Being aware that something is wrong. Being trauma-focused is about that, okay, What I know that something's wrong. What can I do to fix it? Mm-hmm. There's a difference. So you need to be trauma-informed to understand that there's something wrong. So, okay, my, my turnover rate in my business. Okay, they, I'm, I lost 10 people in the span of three, four months. There's something wrong there. I need to figure yeah. it out. Oh, my reviews, my, my clients are saying, so-and-so in the front desk is this. So-and-so in the front desk is that. Understanding that part. Being trauma-informed is understanding what it is that is affecting the engagement between Mm. you and the person, the person and the client, right? Got you. And so being trauma-focused is, okay, so now that I understand what is affecting and the problem that I need to navigate within the system that I'm in charge of, how do I do to fix that? Okay, you mm-hmm. need to have these tools and skills where you can help and address the things that are wrong and that are affecting your bottom line, right. either as a worker or as a mm-hmm. supervisor or admin, right? I have more people coming to me individually than I do more companies. 
Now, I'm not saying mm. that I don't have a lot of companies because I yeah. have a lot. But right. I have more individuals coming to say, Lisette, I need to know how to do this because I'm an advocate about being a trauma-informed advocate. Mm-hmm. You have to advocate for yourself in order to advocate for others. And so I have more of those trainings with people mm-hmm. because they want to know how can they be more aware for themselves so that they can call things out within yeah. their own space. So, yeah. yes, all workplace, churches, schools, <laughs> dental, <laughs> dentists, clinics, child care, the bus stop, the grocery store. Listen, <laughs> look, all everywhere, things, everywhere, especially with everything that we've dealt for in the last couple of years. Everybody mm-hmm. thought that they had a good foundation and COVID <laughs> came and kicked it in the butt and said, oh, oh, I don't have this. And that's why a lot of organizations are still struggling. Mm-hmm. That's why you see a lot of people, they're quitting. People are quitting mm-hmm. constantly. It's not only mm-hmm. the new generation. Right. Other people are quitting too because they understand if you haven't fixed this system after all these years, you want me to come back to this? I, I, I'm dealing with the trauma of COVID and you want me to deal with your trauma? I can't give you that. I can't give you another year. And mm-hmm. that's why people are quitting. People are like, I'd rather choose my peace yeah. than to live in a place where you and work in a place where you don't understand and where you still don't create a safe space for me. Right. So no. many organizations and businesses, maybe not knowingly, but relied on the lack of self-awareness that yeah. people had with what they were experiencing on a day-to-day basis. And when we stopped, when the world stopped, you had time to say, I mean, I don't like the pandemic, but I have the time to think. I have the time to to plan. I have the time to say, I don't like how I've been feeling. And so it's almost like the awareness is moving faster than the progression of these companies and organizations. And I'm 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 just, you know, I'm I'm an observer as well. So I'm always like, I'm just interested to see where this goes. Yeah. I'm it, interested to see where it goes. Because I think that it's okay that I think is everybody's gonna go back and is is everybody's gonna be back in this like, oh. We're going back to this workplace and everything's going to be okay. No, before the pandemic started, I actually reached out to these like well-known organizations. I was like, (laughs) hey guys, you know, I provide trauma-informed care and training and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was looking at your information. Mind you, it's public information on Indeed Mm -hmm. and Glassdoor and Google and this and Mm -hmm. all the reviews. Trustpilot, listen, I did my research. And I'm seeing this and, you know, I just want to come in and like support. No, no, no. We have a thing in place. Everything is good. Da, 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 da. Listen, <laughs> COVID hit. And when I tell you people were running around with a head cut off, people were, I was just like, and they were like, so can you, can you tell me more about that training? Can you, hmm. because what we realized is that we don't have this in system, which is why right. you now see organizations implementing this life and wellness approach too. Because they're mm. trying to figure this out and not understanding you can implement life and wellness into the organization. If you still don't have a structure of trauma informed, things are not going to work. Ooh, I know it's a lot. Dr. Dr. London, we're going we gonna to have to bring <laughs> you back. I told y'all just so much wisdom and knowledge, this powerhouse. But mm-hmm. before we... Bring this episode because yes. you coming back. You coming back. We already know that. <laughs> Is there anything else you would love to share with the people? Mm. I guess I would share a couple of things. One is I need you to have grace with yourself. I think as people who are trying to do something different, we we are wanting to master it as fast as we can and be superheroes in this process. I'm like, no, I got it. I got it. I figure it out because I got all these things. And and I need you to have grace with yourself in terms of that you may not get it. And mm-hmm. that you, you're going to probably fall a couple of times. You're going to say mm-hmm. a couple of things that are going to look, people are going to look at you like, you said what? <laughs> and you you have to be okay with that because mm-hmm. this, is, this is new. You didn't learn to walk the moment you came out of your mother's womb. So take your time through this process. Mm. And trust mm-hmm. the process in this. 
The second thing is that if you are either an employee or a boss or trying to start your own business, because again, 2021, 2022, a lot of people begin their own business. (laughs) (laughs) Talking to two people right here, right there. Even though I started before, it just that that just opening your own business, you know, you need to understand that before you start anything, please implement the trauma-informed structure before you start to hire anybody else. Mm-hmm. It has to be in your system before anything. It has to be within your hiring process, your orientation, all mm-hmm. of the above. It has to be there. Because it is it not only for your staff that you're hiring, but it's for you to make mm-hmm. sure that it keeps you in this in a in alignment and does not burden you to the mm-hmm. point that you then now deal with compassion fatigue and burnout and all these different things. Being trauma informed is not only about navigating racial issues and the tensions of other things, but it's also to protect us from being mindful of where we are emotionally, mentally, and physically. And I would dare say spiritually. And so Mm -hmm. you have to make sure you have that. And then the last thing is that if you don't know where to start, (laughs) if you have no idea what to do, you know, you have two people right now on this Mm -hmm. podcast that you can reach out to and ask questions about. I tell you that I get text messages and emails random hours because again, <laughs> I do a lot of work globally. So it's, I have to deal with all the time zones. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I get a lot of WhatsApp messages and, you know, hey, I was thinking about this and I don't know what to do with this. Can you help me? Did I say this wrong? And all of these things you have to have someone to talk to. And so reaching yeah. out to Dr. J. Pop and myself <laughs> is very important as you navigate this new new allyship and new mm-hmm. advocacy and awareness of trauma and all of that. And don't be ashamed of it. Again, go back to number one. Have mm-hmm. grace with yourself. Have grace. Yes. Yeah. I love all of those. As I stated in the beginning of the episode, this is who we have come and speak in building allyship. So you can understand we have been graced with some amazing wisdom and knowledge. And she has great trainings that I'm sure if you feel like you need them after hearing this, you can reach out to her as she already stated you could. But what's the best way for people to find you, Dr. London? You can email me at Lisette London Global Consulting at gmail.com. You can even go to my website. It's the same as my email, Lisette London Global Consulting.com. And there's a contact page thing. You just click on it, send your information and fill out and I will contact you and we will connect. Yeah, that's the best way to to get direct access to me. Awesome. And I will make sure that all of that information is in the show notes. Dr. London, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like I said, we will have you back. And that's it. Dr. J-Pop out. Bye. Thanks. (laughs) 